you're either going to really love it or you're going to really hate it. It's a very different coffee. Every single step of the journey has the potential to destroy the coffee. I think disaster struck again. Mm -hmm. Love affairs and so forth. Earthiness. Uh, Gillingbasha process. Mm. Mm. If you're in a coffee shop, you're going to hear the words probably the Gayo Mountain, Takangon, here Lake Laut Tawa. Welcome to Bean Stuff. Today on the podcast, we are talking about a coffee that hopefully some some of you have tried, maybe a lot of you have tried, but we're talking about coffee that comes from the country of Sumatra. My inclination is you're either going to really love it or you're going to really hate it. My first question is when, you know, let's say I'm in the coffee shop right now Mm -hmm. drinking a Sumatra coffee. Mm -hmm. When I say the Sumatra to you... What is the first thing that comes to your mind as far as flavor goes? Earthiness, like wet, damp soil. You know, it's not initially what I would uh, describe as the thing that I want out of my coffee is a wet, damp soil. But you know what? Sometimes that earthy tone, uh, maybe in a blend or even on its own, could be good. And I think that's its, that's its popularity in terms it's a very different coffee that you're going to get from rather than what you're going to get from anywhere else in mm. the world. And it's one of those coffees that you can have for a few days, then you might go off for a bit, then you'll have it back again. Because that unique taste, that earthiness of a, of a Sumatra, you're not going to get it anywhere else. And mm. therefore, you sort of, often my experience is you hate it to start with, you start to like it, you start mm. to love it, and you go, wow, I'm really liking this Sumatra now. Sumatra is located in Indonesia, in case you weren't sure where it was. That, now, that's another, re- of all the coffees we do mm. cupping, Sumatra, Indonesia, it's very confusing for those who don't live around that area, that region. And you've got Indonesia, and within Indonesia, you've got Sumatra, you've got Java, you've got Sulawesi, you've got New Guinea or Guinea. And it's just a whole lot of countries in there, in this Asian area. Mm -hmm. And one of them is Sumatra. When we talk about coffee production in Sumatra, how much of that's robusta and how much of that is going to be Arabica? Yeah, it's it's changed, and uh, from what I can gather now, it's around about seventy five percent is robusta, wow, and twenty five percent is arabica. So that's a change from what it used to have, and through right. through different reasons. And I wonder if, if people are, are are hearing that statistic for the first time and going, "Wow, that's a lot of robusta coffee, man! That that's a lot of bad coffee." I would say I would I would I would caveat that with go ahead and go back in our episodes go ahead and listen to the robusta versus arabica mm-hmm. episode um, just to give you some you know maybe hopefully open your mind up mm-hmm. to arabica and robusta mm-hmm. how how do we get coffee into a country that doesn't didn't naturally start with coffee <laughs> yeah that's happened in the history of coffee a few times a big player in that one would be the Dutch. The Dutch, Holland. In Holland, which is a long way from Sumatra. That is a long way. So <laughs> what, what what connection does Holland have with, with Sumatra? Well, they were a big force in, in those days, and they were wanting to have to be a bigger force. That's a simplified history version of it. <laughs> you covered a lot of ground there. I did. A lot of region I did. There was a, a Dutch governor who actually was in India. Mm. So Holland's got the, the a little bit of India going there as well. Right. And he sends some Arabica seedlings uh-huh. to Yemen, from, from Yemen, I should say, to the Dutch governor in, I think it's Batavia, which is now Jakarta. This is mm. 1696. It's a little while ago. It's a little not, while not ago. Not last week. So you've got all this 
players and countries, mainly mainly the Dutch, mm-hmm. whether in India, Yemen, or Jakarta, mm. and uh, they plant them in Jakarta. Yeah, and uh, the first seedlings start coming up, and uh, there's a flood. Oh, water! They ruins the whole crop, so they can't do that anymore. Wow! So the the first shipment of seeds comes across, and it's destroyed. About I think about three years later, mm-hmm. um, some more shipment of seeds come. The plants grow and. Uh, in around about, I think, 1711, mm-hmm. the first exports, so they've grown for a few years now. Well, and as we talked about in our growing it, episode, it takes a uh, little bit of time, it, you know, four yep, to five years for those to be fruitful. To mature and start to do the right thing. But 1711, those uh, coffee, the first coffee gets sent, sent from Java all the way back to Europe to, mm. um, via the Dutch East Indian Company, which is a big player in the history of coffee. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, we had a conversation with Adam Carpenter and we even talked with Michael Ryan about this a little bit. But, you know, we talked about China, coffee in China mm-hmm. and how that's pr- how that's growing and how that's beco- evolving, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, it, how it's happening so rapidly. Yes. Whereas we look at Sumatra, this started way back in the 1600s. Yes. You know, it's had that long to get to where it's at today. So it's, it's just interesting to see the different pace of growth for coffee in those countries. One of, hopefully it's a change. I mean, it is a change, but hopefully it's not so much that's going on now. I don't think there is. But the whole thing of forced labor. Right. We'd right. call it slavery. Right. And... Uh, that was back in those that, the, those eras. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of that going on. So a lot of Sumatrans or the, in Java, they would be forced to produce coffee, and then it got sent away, and they didn't, get, of course, get any of the uh, the um, the money back from that. Yeah. And uh, that now we're talking about 1830 to to 1870. So you got sort of uh, 40 years there of this forced labour and getting sent back to Europe. At the mm. same time that's happening, Brazil suddenly becomes a force. There's a whole history of how coffee got to Brazil, mm-hmm. love affairs and so forth. Um, <laughs> and suddenly they, it gets eclipsed by Brazil. So suddenly it starts to drop in terms of they're not the, the only player when it comes uh, to coffee. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's amazing. And all these things we've seen so far, we, we find that every single step of the journey is a potential just you know is it has the potential to destroy the coffee whether it be the flavor whether it be the you know actual fruit or the the seed anything there's so many steps to the amazing cup that we get Mm -hmm. it's amazing that it doesn't get messed up more it's amazing even in this story we have we have uh scenarios where floods are wiping out this uh you know first crop and then the second crop comes and then in 1876 I think disaster struck again when there was a, a rust disease. Is that oh, correct? Oh, that's correct. That's something that uh, is happening often, and is, rust is happening today, I should say. And, and we're not talking, for those of you who don't know what rust is, we're not talking about like <laughs> rust as you would see on an old car. Uh, this is rust as a, as a disease on a coffee plant. That's right. It looks like rust on the leaf, the green right. leaf, but you've got all this brown stuff. In it. Oh, that's rust. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not the, not the metal stuff. No. But uh, again, so that wipes out uh, this whole Arabica, Typica thing that's going on there. Mm. And what they decide to do, whoever they are, they bring in the Robusta plant, which... which Again, if you go back to the Robusta Arabica <laughs> yeah. episode, we talk about how much, no pun intended, more robust yeah, the Robusta exactly. plant is. It has a lot more mm-hmm. resistance to disease um, and, and all those kind of things. So, it, you know, in it a, in a sinet- situation. Economic sense, yeah. Right. And here we're seeing rust. We've had floods. It's there, I can see how the Robusta would be a, a, a nice addition that's right. And two, as we were talking at the beginning there, you get now 75% of 
coffee production in mm. in Sumatra is now the robusta that's from sort of dates back to then, and now you've got another twenty five percent that has come and grown and flourished right. in certain parts of Sumatra. And again, I'm so thankful to have a cup of Sumatran coffee in the morning. Right, that that twenty five percent is there, and uh, we've managed to. To take that and and we get to drink it today. When we talk about Arabica and we talk about specifically Arabica from Sumatra, what what are the most common types of Arabica that we see coming from Sumatra? I mean, you, you've got uh, Sumatra, you've got um, you've got uh, uh, Bourbon, you've got Tipica, which is the most common. I probably should say you've got mm. Bourbon. Then you've got a whole of hybrids, and I can't pronounce them all, but you know, Katura, <laughs> Katamore, Hybrido di Timor, Tim mm. Tim. And an Ethiopian, Ethiopian, Ethiopian line called Rambug and Abyssinia. Whew. Wow, interesting. So there's a, there's a few things that have happened there of how they've progressed and what what they grow there now in Sumatra, and also what suits that whole region. And it's interesting too because we've talked about in our episode where we we had a couple of episodes where we went through different processing, whether it's wet process, dry process. And we talked a little bit about the different processes and how some may be helpful in areas where water is scarce. Um, and and yes. specifically in regards to Sumatra, water is a little bit scarce. So mm-hmm. once we've grown that coffee, how are they typically processing that? Once it's, you know, once it's been picked from the tree, what, what, what process does it go through? That's right. And we're uh, not sure if we even mentioned this particular process because it's, it's, Unique in some ways to that whole area. I think we may have. I think we may have spouted out the word or something. The name, yeah, and the name is um, Gilling Basha process. Mm, a, it sounds intense. I should have looked up exactly what that means. That probably means something in itself. I know it's it it it, it, it just sounds like bashing and brutal and. And intense. if I was going to say how this process works, you're probably not too far away. <laughs> what's going on? Not as as damaging as that because right. um, you don't want to damage the bean. But as you said, because of the whole water situation, mm. they don't want to go for the wet process that uses a lot of water. A lot of water. So they, the gilling basher basically they takes the, the the seed that's taken off the the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pulped. The skin gets taken off. It gets dried, and this is where it starts to change. And they don't wait for it to get to a certain moisture. They they do it a little sooner than it, all the other processes do. Right. And they hull it. They 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 rip off. Because you were saying, I think when we talked before the episode, you were saying they wait around one to two days. For it to dry, which can be quite short compared oh, yes. to like other oh, yeah. processes. From one to two to three weeks or longer, yeah. Right, so you're not reducing it to a moisture level where a lot of other coffees get get to before they get processed. You'll see, if you look at the green beans, you'll see it looks like a more bluish, it looks like it's got moisture in there. You need a moisture tester to see exactly how much it is. And Sumatra are allowed, I'm not sure who are, who they are again, <laughs> but they, they tend to be have a little higher on the moisture content than a typical wet or dry processed coffee does. Is. Interesting, because it seems like you'd be at more risk for mold, for those kind of things. Well, that's that the fine line you tread as a farmer in Sumatra. You are in more line for that. Right. You're going to get more damage uh, in that particular way. And if you look at a handful of green Sumatra to a handful of whatever, Guatemala, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter, you will notice. You don't have to be 
into coffee, you don't have to be that well, you know, educated in it. You look and say, this one, they're all broken. This one looks great. Right. And the broken ones are usually the Sumatra ones. And they have different grades. Interesting fact here is I remember we used to we used to get a grade. We said, oh, let's get grade one. That's the best one you can get. <laughs> yeah. Um, How many grades are there? Oh, there's a few. I know three, but there's probably more than that. But grade one being the best. Yes. It's the most picked out. And they'd go through... You talk about how many times the sorters would go through it. And it could mm. be two, three times they've gone through wow. trying to get rid of the, all the, the debris that could be in there. Yeah. Interesting thing, though, what we found, we went sudden realizing we tasted it and it tasted clean. Uh, it didn't taste like Sumatran coffee that we were looking for, that hay note we're looking for, the earthy note. Yeah. Um, the full body wasn't, was, it was much cleaner and, and, and it just seemed. It lost some of that moist soil. It did. It did. <laughs> it did. So what we ended up doing in our case, and it changes every year, but we yeah. decided to get grade two that year because it was more hmm. of a Sumatran uh, a taste. And so it's nice. It's a little cheaper because someone says grade two, oh, that's not as good. In our eyes, it was it was pretty good. It was a good cup of Sumatra in the morning again. And that's an interesting thing. You're working with the, you know, going through this Gilling Basher or Basher process. You know, you get this this more rugged, I guess you could say, coffee. Mm-hmm. But in some senses, that ruggedness helps to add to the flavor. Whereas if you reduce that, you make it this perfectly clean coffee, you actually get something that's not quite the product you're hoping exactly, for. Exactly. Some more kind of uh, factual stuff as far as uh, like the harvest, for instance, is around, uh, is it between October and March is kind of like your harvest season? Typically, yes. And you know, it varies again, depending what part of Sumatra you're getting your coffee True. from. and Year to year as well. Yeah, yeah, the growth and so forth. But yeah, October, March, it's sounds about right and about like what percentage like so for you know if we're looking at the world of coffee mm-hmm. what percentage of the world's coffee comes from like, the indonesia area that, this intrigued me as i looked at the facts and just what what was happening there in the terms of the world it was the third largest producer in the world this was indonesia this is not just sumatra right the, the the region of indonesia indonesia it, uh, so that's third in the world. I know and it's coming up against some big producers Brazil, like Brazil. I'm not sure. Second, I, I don't know if they're including like Vietnam or something. I don't know what ones are including because that's right. robust, of course. Right. Um, but it's high. Uh, but it's up there. It, it's a big, big player when it comes to the world scene on, in coffee. Hmm. And what regions uh, within Sumatra are well known for their coffee? Well, there's a there's a few regions. Um, by the way, the I, you missed one fact there, and that was I did. the percentage of the world market. So how mm. much coffee out there, uh, how much of it is Indonesian? And that's 7%. Wow. Which is, again, a lot of percentage for... I mean, a, that's almost one, you know, ish, one, one-tenth of the world's coffee. Exactly, exactly. Now, regions, you're saying, yeah, there's there's a few regions in Sumatra. Um, it's, a, it's an island. It mm-hmm. you know, spreads out from north to south. Is a lot of islands do. And Every, everything typically tends to go north to south and <laughs> east to yeah, west. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And you've got different regions. One's the, the, the Aki, A-C-E-H mm-hmm. um, region. That's the, the north part of Sumatra now. That's where we've typically got a lot of our, our coffee from. Mm. If you were in a coffee shop, you're going to hear the words, probably the Gao Mountain, Takangon. Um, you may hear Lake Laut Tawa. There's a few few. Places within that nor- northern region of Aki hmm. that uh, we get our, our coffees from. So, Dad, we were we were talking before the podcast, and you had mentioned uh, Sumatra Mandeli, and you had kind of told me an interesting story hmm. about it and how that name came about. It was different to what I expected because we were we were going through all these different areas, and typically they're named after like the geographical region mm-hmm. where you find the coffee. Yeah. Um, 
but not so the case with uh, with the Sumatra man Dowling. So, mm-hmm. can you? divulge that story for us sure it's it's i'm sure it's evolved over time from me and even when i first read it 20 years ago it's interesting this is i'm sure it's one of the only coffees that is named not after the region but it's named after and here's the story uh-huh. is is uh, in world war ii a japanese military man was uh, stationed in sumatra uh-huh. he had a cup of coffee thought it was brilliant yeah so he asked the local sumatran where he got it from i'm assuming uh you know, where's this coffee? What's this coffee? And mm. the Sumatran thought he was asking where was the person who like he was talking. He was asking, like, like I said, Dad, where are you from? Yeah, and I'd say, well, I'm from New Zealand, right? Or you know, Palmerston North, whatever, Wanganui. But he and so the Sumatran man said almost the same thing, but he said, I'm from Mandilling. He thought he was talking about a family group and and so forth. And so this Japanese soldier or whatever, after the war, gets back home, uh-huh. wants more of this wonderful cup of coffee, this Sumatra coffee. And he, he, I don't know if he's an importer or whatever, he gets w- how this works. Yeah. But he asked for, rather than, than Takangon or Gaya Mountain, he would ask, I want some Mandeling. And mm. I guess they go through a frantic shot, where, <laughs> where is this coffee? And right. they suddenly work it out, oh, it's from this area, the north. And, uh, and they sent it to him and they just, I don't know, politely call it Mandeling. They said, right, if you want to pay for it, we'll send it. It seems that's the case. <laughs> We've got a couple more here. We've got the Lintong mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the Lumpung. Oh, mate, you're selling good. <laughs> I almost said Lumping, but it's uh, Lumpung. Lumpung. And so these are in the southern area of uh, uh, Sumatra, is that correct? Yes, more so. Lintong, which is, and Lintong and Archie are more Arabica-growing coffees. There's some starting to grow down the south now. Mm. And with with some really interesting character, really nice characteristics. It may not be typically the Sumatra, but man, it's, it's a good coffee. And the Lumpung is, is actually a Robusta, correct? The Lumpung is, yeah. Um, or the region, is, it's the yeah. largest Robusta-producing region in Sumatra. Correct, correct. And uh, the Lington, we didn't... F- so that's found around Lake Tobo, Toba, mm. I should say. Say it's, you know, 1,200 to 1,500 meters. Um, and that's where, where some of the greatest, uh, well... Depends who you are. Uh, <laughs> Arabica coffee comes from. But you're right, Lumpung, <coughs> down by the south, now you've got a huge production of the Robusta coming out of uh, out of there in Sumatra. As we begin to wrap up, I have a question for you, and that is, where do you see yourself using Sumatran That's coffee in, in coffee? Do you mostly use it as a blend, or do you typically do it as its own coffee, like a single origin? There's both is probably the answer to that. Mm. We used to use it more in a blend. In Sumatra, where it's situated, it's had some tsunamis and things going on that right. have pushed the price up at that stage really high. Is consistency year to year a thing as well? That's another part of it. And right. because it's that, that Gilingbasha process and, and just what's going on there, it's dried in one place, then it you know they get rid of it and they someone else carries on drying it and they get their money and then it dries somewhere else. Right. So it does get to the eventual moisture content you want but it's past a lot of hands because mm. they want their money more quickly than waiting two months whatever it may be right but um so much the blend or, or the state we do it both and i say we used to do it more in blends but as tsunamis came and the price went way sky high mm. we had to cut it down in our blends we had in our blends of coffee particularly for an espresso it brings us body this mm. texture to the coffee that you can't really get from another another source as such. It's it's just good in a blend. Yeah, you don't want too much though, because some, as I said right at the beginning, uh, is it earthy or hay? 
And mm-hmm. some would say, oh, it tastes like hay. You might, your espresso, you don't want that. Right. So it you, gives a nice undertone, a good body. Exactly. But you don't want it to overpower the palate. You don't want that. It's a very powerful thing that it'll take over your espresso. As an estate, again, it's whether you like it or not. Mm. And I think there's really good uh, Sumatra coffee out there. And it's going to be your preference whether you're going to buy a Sumatra. You know, for us, yes, they, they do. Um uh, I mean, people, we know, I know lots of friends who enjoy a good cup of Sumatra. Mm. So I think, you know, if you're at a coffee shop or if you could go to a coffee shop, you know, it's something to try. If you see Sumatra there, you go, oh, I'm going to try that. Or if they have a blend, you might even ask them, like, do you have Sumatra mm-hmm. in that blend? I wouldn't say, I was recently, last year, when I was in Portland at a coffee shop with a friend, they actually mm. had the Sumatra as an espresso. And surprise, it was really good. Just single origin Sumatra. Single origin as an espresso. So wow. there you're now you're getting to terms of what you buy green, mm-hmm. how it's roasted, right. and then how the barista makes it, prepares it, makes a big difference. And it's, you go, wow, that was really nice. Thank yeah. you. Well, so that's kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of history, a little bit of interesting facts, a little bit of kind of knowledge uh, on Sumatra. If we got anything wrong, or hmm. if there's something we left out, or if you've got any questions... Definitely let us know. We kind of want to help to educate, hopefully um, make uh, make your next cup of coffee a little bit more interesting, a little bit more intriguing, and, and give you a little bit more context to what's in your cup. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we, we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.